on the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the only place to be for proper analysis uh, for the immediate return uh, of common sense and of course for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth because there's an awful lot of people getting very excited about the collapse of the Tory vote uh, in the local elections last night. Uh, yesterday, of course, uh, many people went out uh, to vote but more people didn't bother going out to vote actually so we're looking at, I think, a turnout of somewhere down in the low 30s. If it reaches 32%, said, uh, I'll be a monkey's uncle. I don't know if you can still say that, but I've just said it, so there we are. Um, it turns out that Labour think that they've now won the next general election. We'll have a quote from Keir Starmer coming up in a little while. Uh, he thinks this is proof positive that they've blown the doors off the Tory party. Well, let me have a little word with Mr Starmer, because here's the deal. Labour still don't stand for anything. Nobody knows what Keir Starmer believes. Nobody knows, really, whether he thinks a woman has a penis. Nobody knows whether uh, he wants to be seen as the man that busted Jimmy Savile or not. Nobody knows if people want to say, Keir Starmer, what a visionary, what a great guy. Let's put him in Downing Street straight away and he'll fix everything. I don't think that's going to happen. Richard Tice is here, of course, Talk TV presenter uh, and, of course, uh, leader of the Reform Party as well. Um, we'll find out from him what he makes of what's going on. But there are certain holes in the Labour argument, I would have to say. The Lib Dems have done OK. Um, but to be honest, they're so irrelevant now, the Lib Dems. Nobody even knows what they stand for. What does any of them stand for? The problem here is that people have become disengaged. Most Tory voters didn't bother going out to vote. Most people are sick to the back teeth of being told what to do by their local councils anyway. Uh, the coronation is on, and a lot of people are more interested in that uh, than in anything else. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. There's plenty of people sitting around currently waiting for planning permission. There's plenty of people sitting around paying parking fines. There's plenty of people being told by their local councils um, that actually uh, they're going to have to get written permission to put up some bunting for a street party. All of that is going on in the background. People can't afford uh, to buy the food that they want to buy. People can't afford to put as much petrol in their cars as they want. Is everything the fault of the Tories? I don't know. Is Rishi Sunak going to be able to rescue it from the brink? Very possibly so. And we'll be bringing you all the news as it, as it happens because there will be more results coming in throughout the course of this show. We'll also, of course, be talking to Tim Montgomery, founder of Conservative Home. Peter Cardwell uh, is on duty as well, as is Rupert Bell. Um, the sun is still shining. So far, it isn't raining. So that's one good thing. 0344 499 1000. Can anybody tell me where Prince Harry is? If you spot him, do let me know. Because nobody knows whether he's arrived, how he's getting here, where he's going, how he's, where he's staying and when he's leaving. Apart from that, everything's absolutely hunky-dory uh, in the royal family. This is Talk TV. Let's get it on. Lots of lovely pictures in the papers this morning of uh, William and Kate in the pub, which I thought was a really good move by them, actually, especially just walking into the pub instead of arriving in a, in a motorcade. Um, but Peter, uh, not Peter Cardwell, he's not here yet, but he will be. Uh, Richard Tice is here, however. It's uh, almost as bad as uh, Julia being called Kay. I mean, yes. what's going on this morning? I mean, everyone's really. everyone's sort well, of losing their memory. Well, do you know, I had a problem the other morning and I was told that the, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Mars or is it Jupiter is in retrograde, apparently, uh, which means everything's basically it's, going wrong. I got, I got all the way to the office the other morning and realised I'd left my phone in the car. So I had to go all the way back to the car park to get it. It was not a good day. It's a confusing time. And I think overnight we've seen actually uh, some, some pretty confusing results overall. As yeah. you've just quite rightly said, uh, the first key statistic is that turnout, probably predictably, is woefully low. From what I'm seeing, I'm seeing some turnouts in some wards in the north of England, down at 20%. Just think me. about that. 20% wow. in wards in the northeast. 
but overall, I suspect it'll be just, as you say, just over 30%, which in itself is catastrophically low. Yes. And I think is a sign that people are, are disillusioned, uh, disengaged. Uh, from our perspective, uh, reform, we've had about about 25% of votes across the uh, whole of England have come in so far. Right. Uh, we're getting uh, at or above what we're polling nationally. So we're getting that locally. So that's, you know, we're pleased with that. Look, we're not making any bones about it. First past the post is difficult for smaller parties. Yeah, of course it is. Uh, which is one of the reasons that and we're promoting also, proportional it's representation. It's a very complicated picture, isn't it? I mean, for those people who are not professional cephologists, you know, you've got some councils voting, some councils not voting at all, other councils only voting to, to, to replace a third of the seats, district councils it is, voting. Look, it's, I mean, it's a mad system, isn't it? It's, it's, it is very difficult, very confusing. As you say, some councils just have a third. Mm. Some councils have the, the whole lot up for grabs. Uh, but look, the reality is, the important thing is that people vote. And by not voting, mm. people have said, actually, we're feeling very, very disillusioned. Yeah. Uh, the other news, uh, which is really important, I mean, there's no question that the the Tories analysts are saying they're going to lose down what was down at their worst expectations. Obviously, they were managing expectations mm. to a low level to hopefully exceed them. Right. It looks like they are going to hit their worst expectations or yes, of give or take they a thousand-seat losses. From what I could gather, and we talked to Tim Montgomery about this, you'll know more from the inside of the Tory party, but uh, they were hopeful that it might stop at about 500 losses. It's looking like it will be more like a thousand losses, isn't it? And, and from their perspective, to hit their... Um, essentially their worst expectations, uh, it's, I'm not surprised mm. because there is there is nothing constructive or good about the way the country is run. No. You well, ask you, you you a simple to... question, what works? Yeah. And the answer is actually almost everything is working worse right. than in recent years and they've been in charge. Mm. Look, Labour are doing... Labour have won uh, a decent number of seats, there's no question. Uh, the Lib Dems, uh, certainly in the, in the blue wall, uh, are winning some seats. It looks clear to me that what people are really saying is this is a confused picture. And in a confused yeah. picture, you end up either with a small majority or a coalition. Mm. And from our perspective, uh, we want to head towards proportional representation. That's what we're yeah. battling and for. And also Labour's, gains, and Labour's gains can also be misinterpreted because they lost quite a lot of seats in 2019 as well to the Lib Dems. So they're on a sort of comeback from that as opposed to suddenly on a surge against the Tories. And I think all of that has to be taken into account. But I think we've got a clip of Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, uh, bumming on about what exactly they think that they've done. We're having fantastic results across the country. Plymouth, what a night they've had in Plymouth. And then Stoke. And up to Middlesbrough, all the places that we need to win the battlegrounds. And make no mistake, we are on course for a Labour majority at the next general election. all about the cost of living and we had a positive case to make we understood what it's like not to be able to make ends meet and we said what we would do to help people with their everyday bills and the government the prime minister said nothing and that's because they're the problem not the solution and what we've shown together is that we can make change we've changed our party we've won the trust and confidence of voters and now we can go on to change our country. So change is possible. A better Britain is possible. Well done to all of you. Fantastic morning. Thank you so much. 
So Keir Starmer thinks it's a fantastic morning. OK, well, he may think that. But I mean, I think there's nothing to be proud of when only 30 percent of the population who can vote actually bother to turn out and do it. That's the key point. What we're hearing and seeing is that there's just a lack of enthusiasm, essentially uh, across the board, as you, you're quite rightly say, the turnout is catastrophic at, if it turns out to be just over 30 percent. And essentially, there's, there's no enthusiasm for Keir Starmer. There's just a huge disengagement mm. with the ruling party, the ruling government of the day. And people saying, look, what works? How is right. my life better? And the answer is, it's not. Right. It's clearly worse. And that's the direction of travel. The other big news, of course, with these elections, Mike, is the it's the first time that photo ID has been required. It'll be yes. interesting to hear from listeners and viewers mm. as to their experience, how that went for them. Well, it how doesn't many appear to have had much impact at all, really, that, does it? That it? The fact that it's not really being reported, I think, confirms that. And, of course, here's the thing, and many of the sort of the Labour and the Greens uh, say that it's unfair and that it's wrong, but actually across almost all of Europe, and many of these people are those that want sort of, you know, they love the EU and they want to rejoin mm. the EU, but across most of Europe, voter ID is compulsory. There you are. There you are. Well, and that actually sort that of... a funny thing? It, it proves their hypocrisy, but it also proves that actually, in a sense, by having voter ID, we're catching up with the norm around, frankly, democracies around the mm. world. It's a good thing. Uh, I don't it understand reduces why, the risk of yeah, fraud. I don't know why you wouldn't want it. It makes no sense to well, me makes, not it, to have it. It, it. it makes no sense at all not to have it. Uh, and it's a, it's a good step in the right direction. The next big thing is uh, the postal voting system, which is still open to manipulation mm. and fraud. And there's still a lot more work to be done there. So this is not uh, completely sorted. It's very, very important. Well, the only argument the they seem to have for, the system. For, for not having it uh, is that fraud doesn't happen very often. And you go, right, OK. Then. Yeah, so the whole point, it's, trust me, I've done it. Yeah. Because uh, we back in 2019, we had a real concern. It's so difficult to actually get, meet the bar mm. of proving the fraud right. that actually... But we've stood in, in, in uh, polling, uh, outside polling stations. We've seen people come in with bags of postal votes mm. in East London. And you think, hang on, how has this happened? Right. Really? Is that right? Is that yeah. proper? And so you've only just filled them in. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean yeah. so look, there are major issues with the postal voting system that need resolving. This is a step in the right direction, and actually, I've heard from what I'm seeing and hearing very little yeah. complaints about. But it will be interesting what people's own experiences. Do you know what the worst been. thing about this conversation is? I'm already bored with it. <laughs> I mean, it's such a boring story. It really is. I mean, nobody's surprised the Tories got a, a shoeing. Uh, nobody's surprised that Labour didn't do quite as well as they thought. Nobody's surprised that Lib Dems did OK, because if you don't do OK as a Lib Dem in a local government election, you might as well just give up and go home. In other right? words, actually, people's common sense has turned out to be right, yeah. in that this is what they expected. Yeah. And it's no surprise. The common sense of, of, of this station... Uh, has has essentially been proven, without doubt. It has. I mean, because I remember asking, I can't remember which minister it was that I had on, some hapless character, and I actually said to him at some point, you know, is there any government department that actually works? And the best he could come up with was, well, I think mine does. And that was it. <laughs> he only you thinks know? so. Yeah. I mean, he'd have to think that. And I think that was the Department of Work and Pensions or something. But, I mean, it is, we have found ourselves somewhat at this sort of the pinnacle of uselessness, it seems to me. Uh, but this is an opportunity, I know you won't agree with me on this, an opportunity, surely, for Rishi Sunak to take the party and the government by the scruff of the neck and say, right, let's actually fix some stuff. Not just say we're going to fix it, but actually fix it. Take the message from the public and go on and beat Keir Starmer at the proper election. Look, the reality is every party, after a, a round of elections, 
you work out what went well, what didn't. Mm. And absolutely, for the government of the day, whoever it is, they're going to say, right, what do we need to fix? What are the risks? Mm. Uh, but he's got his five pledges. Yeah. And the reality is he's not delivering on any of them. No. He said he was going to halve inflation. Inflation in five months this year hasn't shifted at all. Uh, the national debt is going up. Mm. It's not going down. The economy is flatlining. Yeah. It's not growing. There's no sign that they're stopping the boats. Uh, hundreds and well, they're hundreds. Not stopping them. They're not stopping the boats. Hundreds, hundreds of illegal migrants are coming across yeah. the water. They haven't got every, any ID either. Every single time. Let's give them the vote. <laughs> they haven't got any ID. <laughs> so look, nothing is uh, nothing is getting done, and hospital waiting lists are going up and right. down. So he's failing on all of his five five pledges. Yeah. I think those failures will become ever more apparent mm. uh, throughout this year. But for sure. They're going to be looking at and saying, what, are we, what can we do to change yeah. this, to this change thing, the course of the uh, direction? In Keir Starmer's uh, sort of gloating speech there, he didn't say, uh, prepare yourselves for a Labour landslide. He said, prepare yourselves for a Labour majority, which is not exactly uh, full speed ahead, is it? Well, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those rare moments where actually he's, he's essentially telling it as it is, yeah, right. which is that uh, the numbers show a small majority or quite likely a coalition. Yeah. A huge swing is required. So and and this is in a sense in the area where um, uh, where they need to be doing very well. Yeah. And as I say, there's not much enthusiasm for them in the industrial heartlands. No. Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting. Britain breaks down in various different places. Labour's taking control of Plymouth, Stoke on Trent, Medway. Uh, Lib Dems have seized control of Windsor and Maidenhead. Probably not that surprising. Um, you know, and and there's a couple of places in Essex that Labour should have won but didn't. It's a kind of a mixed picture, but there's no question it's a bad night for the Tories. However, um, whether it's a sort of fatal night is the question, isn't it? It's it's a bad night. And remember that four years ago, uh, thanks to the Brexit party, the Tories had a terrible night. Mm. Four years ago, they lost, uh, I think, over a thousand seats mm. back then. Yeah. So this is from a very low base for those councillors that are coming up for re-election for the first time uh, since four years ago. Right. So to lose, give or take, a thousand councillors from a very low base shows actually just how bad a night it is likely to be. Right. We've got another 75% of the votes to be counted through yes. the course of this day. But that's the direction of travel. Mm. And I think it I think it is actually uh, it's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean at the moment we've got local council results in England, Labour up 119 seats, Conservatives down 228, uh, Lib Dems up 61. We'll keep you updated on that. Um, and so, from reform's point of view, I mean, obviously, we get a lot of people saying reform is the answer. Yeah, look, from Marvel, to, we, we stood, what, are, what are you expecting well, numbers-wise? We're expecting to to equal or beat our, our national polling numbers. Obviously, we're only standing in just under 500 of the 8,000 seats. Right. I mean, what's interesting, for example, even the Labour Party only stood in about 76% of all the seats. You right. know, it's, it's hard finding councillors to stand everywhere. But... Uh, so that's that's where we predict our number will be. But this is a building process. We're a new party and we are building towards the general election where we commit to stand uh, candidates in every single constituency in England, Scotland and Wales, yeah. by which time many more people will have heard of us. And by which time I think the challenges facing all of us uh, on some of those key areas I've just mentioned uh, will be ever, ever clearer, ever more severe. Yeah. And you know, we're waiting, for example, to hear the net migration numbers for the whole of uh, 2022, which is due at the end of May. Right. There's talk that that's well, going to be, be bigger than the, the year before, which was uh, around about half a There's talk it's going to be a, a net 700,000. Yeah. Mm. Uh, to June 22, it was net 500,000. So it shows that the Tories have completely lost control, not only of illegal migration, but they've also basically accepted complete well, open borders for 
uh, for net lawful well, since, migration. Since you and I both uh, spoke last Friday, actually, there, there was a great piece written by Robert Colville in the Sunday Times on exactly that, that the real problem is actually not as, small, as, as big a problem as, as the, the small boats are. The real problem is actually the proper and, uh, legal migration. And, and this, is, this is going to be highlighted throughout the course of this year. In a couple of weeks' time, look out for it. Fraser Nelson has written a piece in today's Telegraph about it, highlighting this, that essentially... Because if you've got net 700,000 coming in, mm. that requires almost 300,000 new homes to be built mm. in the same year. We've never built no. over 200,000 homes. No, we're only building 140,000. In the last 40 years. Yeah. So we're not even building enough people for those coming in, which means that the chances of affordable housing, particularly for young people, mm. gets ever more remote. Mm. That's why you need net zero immigration. So you've got a chance actually to have a let's say, a 10-year pause yeah. so you can catch up and work out what works. That's yeah. how you get affordable housing. Yeah. That's how you get higher wages. And That's these are the, the right main issues for young people. which people weren't really voting on yesterday, I guess. Richard Tice is here. Uh, we'll come back to that, plus more uh, on the uh, local elections, but also a little bit on the coronation, because that's tomorrow, believe it or not. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Julie says this, in my ward we didn't have a district Labour candidate, only Conservatives and Lib Dems, a Conservative hold, and the turnout was 26.6%. Uh, it's not a massive whitewash for Labour, as Starmer would like to think. Um, and Dan in Epsom says, Labour and Starmer cannot be trusted, they'll drag us back to the EU, they'll open the borders again, can't be trusted to manage our borders, he's winning by default because real Conservatives didn't turn out. Mick in Wallington, dis- uh, delusion Starmer is appearing to be like a comedian without a punchline. Well, I mean, he's going to enjoy the day, obviously, because he's going to make out, as many Labour people are doing uh, on uh, social media. Uh, Tories are being wiped out. They love a good Tory wipeout story. Um, but, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, as ever. Uh, it depends upon how Rishi Sunak reacts to this. We haven't really seen uh, what the Tories have got to say for themselves. They're probably waiting to see if it, if it gets any worse or if it maybe gets a little bit better before the end of the day. Yeah, look, the reality is, uh, it's, it's for them, it's without question right at the bottom of of their expectations Mm. and the fact that so many Tory voters stayed at home just says it all. Mm. Uh, If you're a a long-standing Tory voter and you say well I could never vote Labour then you've got different choices to make Uh, and uh, yes you've got all the various leaders explaining their results but at the end of the day when Sunak looks at it as the Prime Minister and says right what do we need to do he looks at his five pledges he's not going to be able to change any of them. Mm. That's the reality Five months into the year, uh, he's making no progress on anything mm. whatsoever. No. Uh, the King and Queen consort have arrived at Westminster Abbey, I'm told, for a final rehearsal ahead of the coronation. That makes about five rehearsals, so <laughs> they must have got it right by now. Uh, Charles Wade from the car windows here arrived. Police outriders on motorcycles arrived ahead of the Royal Motorcade. So the coronation is upon us. It is. Um, it is officially, I suppose, now. I mean, I think I declared it starting yesterday, uh, coronation weekend. Um, what are you up to? Uh, it is. Uh, it's fantastic. I think it's very exciting. I do. And it's, it's hugely exciting. I can't wait. Uh, I'm in central London, so mm. just just being part of the buzz, being part of the vibes. Yeah. Friends of mine are already camping on the Mall. I shall be seeing are them they? later today. That's right. Well, they uh, get, I hope they've got the waterproofs with uh, them. Well, yeah, they will certainly need them. We might be taking them a little bit of extra sustenance. Right. So, yeah, look, I think it's, it's, it's remarkable. Just a huge, huge occasion. Uh, there will be some sort of 
a small band of Wally protesters, yeah. and uh, hopefully they won't do anything stupid. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the right to protest. Well, I was watching Piers' show last night, and you were on. That's um, right. With, and, with Tatchell, and that was rather strange I just, young woman from Oxford University <laughs> who kept wanting to finish her sentence, even though she had nothing to really say. Uh, look, just just I didn't seem to understand arguing. Did she, well, she, she didn't. She, what she didn't understand was basic economics, right. even though she's clearly bright enough to go to Oxford University. But uh, it's going to be a huge day. Uh, let's take the view that rather like a wedding, if it rains on the day, that's a sign of good luck. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to have a brief glimpse, possibly, of Harry. I think people will be respectful of that. Uh, possibly great. Well, I'll be asking Megan... you a few questions about Harry coming up a bit later in the show because, um, you know, nobody really knows much about his movements whatsoever, it would seem. Well, um, maybe that's a good thing, actually. Maybe uh, it is. As a good is thing. the fact that Megan's not coming over. But look, it's going to be, it's, it's just going to be huge. It's mm. a once in a half century type occasion. It is, totally. It's, and one should remember it in that context. Mm. And the, the, the thing that we do so well is, is pomp, ceremony, sort of military precision, mm. split-second timing, yeah. uh, the military bands. It's all just so much to look forward to. I'm looking I, forward I to wait. all the sort of the, the regalia as well, the stuff that, that like the lords, the peers of the realm are going to be wearing their, own, their ermine. I was learning last night from um, Daisy McAndrew that depending on how sort of senior you are, the more ermine you have, whether it's four strips or two strips, all of that stuff. I find it's remarkable. Quite, I mean, I don't think about it as a general rule. I don't spend my life wondering about the royal family. But on occasions like this, oh, you're, that's you're what right. You do. The regalia and the fact that the king is going to go through three changes of, of regalia yeah, himself, right? Uh, and three different chairs, so they sort of like a sort of um, almost musical chairs, yes, literally around absolutely. the abbey. <laughs> absolutely, and I mean, as you say, London is a fantastic city to be in when this happens. And we had a message yesterday from somebody saying it's all going on in London. Well, it happens to be the capital city. Westminster Abbey um, has had forty different coronations taking place inside of it. You know, why would you suddenly move it to Coventry? You it know, is. You... It is absolutely. It's a fantastic sit, uh, city. It's one of the greatest cities in the world. And you just, you see the mall and the flags and the history. Mm. It is truly, truly remarkable. It has got, I mean, it's got a number of issues. Uh, the biggest, of course, is it's got uh, it's got an incompetent, dreadful mayor of well, London at the moment. I mean, but... funnily enough, just to just to sort of uh, put some um, um, something poisonous in the well, I suppose. I mean, I was driving home yesterday afternoon uh, to my place, just not far east of here, um, just before you get to sort of Greenwich, and the road was closed off because somebody had been stabbed in broad daylight in the middle of the afternoon, I three mean, p.m. I mean, tragically, that is a sign of of what is going on. Uh, on the streets oh. of London, because but it's not uh, crime just happening has, here. It's, happening it's not everywhere. happening here, but but crime has soared under this mayor. He's completely failed to get a grip with it. People don't fa- feel safe on the streets. If you can move around the streets, mm. which is increasingly hard to do, mm. and there's a very interesting piece in uh, one of the papers today about how actually Transport for London's own report into the ULES extension shows that there were negligible, literally mm. negligible benefits proposed either to emissions or to health. And yet, it completely overruled it, which yeah. actually proves that the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, he is just anti-driver. Well, we're going to talk to Ross Clark about that coming up in a little while. And there's a glint of light actually from Bristol, believe it or not, of all places, where apparently one of the low-traffic neighbourhoods has now been reopened to cars, and they've got a freedom of information request in, and they've seen that the reason they reopened it was that the mayor of Bristol, who's very left-wing, worse than the, the Sadiq Khan, uh, actually ordered it to be reopened because the traffic problems had become so ridiculous that nobody could move. There you are. And, and in a sense, I think that is a uh, that is a heartening example mm. of a turning point where the evidence is increasingly clear, yeah. either before people 
embarked on these mad schemes mm. or once you've actually done it with the low traffic neighborhoods that they make things far far worse yeah they're destroying small businesses s- destroying high street parades therefore people are having people are having to lose jobs lay people off uh, the local economies mm. and it forces more cars onto a smaller number of streets which means traffic slows even which more makes which, high means, traffic which means that actually emissions go up as yeah. people are sitting there ever slower uh, with emissions. So, look, the whole thing is an absolute catastrophe and should be stopped and reversed uh, as as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely right. You'll be here Sunday, I take I will it. be here Sunday. We'll obviously actually, be... Actually, we'll be talking to you on Saturday afternoon. And I'll be here we? tomorrow afternoon, yes, yeah, after my, the big myself event. Myself and Kevin O'Sullivan with the it's... after party, as it's being called. Um, feel free to bring a bottle. Uh, it's uh, three <laughs> till seven, uh, and then the fun really starts. <laughs> uh, Richard Tice, thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow. I see you on Sunday as well for ten o'clock, and the Tice sermon, uh, the Sunday sermon, absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, we've got Tim Montgomery coming up next. He'll tell us how badly the Tories have really done. Uh, this is Talk TV. Ed, we'll meet someone who can prove it's the case that ghosts walk among us, sharing our living space. So watch out for things that go bump in the night, and join me, Howard Hughes. But don't turn out the light. <laughs> the Unexplained with Howard Hughes. The truth is out there. This Sunday night from 10. On Talk Radio and Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a beautiful morning. It hasn't started raining yet. We are one day away. I think they call it T minus one, or was it C minus one for the coronation? Uh, so we'll be all over that, of course, right here at Talk TV. Myself and Kevin O'Sullivan uh, taking the reins from three o'clock uh, after Vanessa Feltz and uh, Sharon Osbourne tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Tim Montgomery, a conservative. Um, I, I don't know what I would call you, a sort of cons- a proper conservative. I hope so. The like of which we don't see very often these days. And a founder of Conservative Home, of course, former number 10 advisor. You've been up all night, I'm told, so I shall be gentle with you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I suppose the question is, how bad is this for the Tories? Um, for me, it's a kind of a warning shot across the bows. It's not as bad, perhaps, as it could have been. No. But they couldn't really have expected much better. I sometimes wonder why we still have any voters, actually, the Conservative <laughs> Party, because we haven't cut the, te- the people's taxes. Right. We haven't extended up, home. Yeah, we haven't extended home ownership. We yeah. haven't controlled immigration. We yeah. haven't reformed the public services. We right. haven't supported the family. If you sort of basically go through the list yeah. of things you'd expect a Conservative government to do, yeah. I'm afraid over a long period, yeah. the Conservative Party hasn't done these things. Mm. So. Actually, these results in context aren't as bad as they might have been. I don't think there is. I think I heard you say a little while ago, there's no great surprises in these um, elections. Labour has sort of basically underperformed. There isn't enthusiasm for them. Um, Rishi Sunak hasn't converted the doubters back to the cause. Mm. But um, I don't. If I was Labour, I wouldn't feel like they were really comfortably on course no. for a victory. No, I mean Keir Starmer's looking quite sort of pleased with himself, but he yeah. always looks like that anyway. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me. But he was sort. He was sort of saying that oh, we're on course for a Labour majority, mm. which doesn't sound like fighting talk to me. I mean, if I, if you said something like we're on course for a Labour landslide, mm. or we're on course for a Labour blowing the doors off the Tory party. But he's not saying that. He's saying a Labour majority. Mm. And that's quite timid, I would have thought. And also, we've been through a phase of the Rishi Sunak leadership, which was basically to stabilise the party in the country Mm. after the trauma of the Liz Trust period. What hasn't really happened yet is that the Tory machine has gone for Keir Starmer. And what's going to happen? I think they're beginning to decide what their tactic is. And you'll know, Mike, 
Keir Starmer won the Labour leadership basically by promising to largely continue the Corbyn mm. left-wing set of policies, right. but with a sort of more moderate face. Yes. And he's slowly but surely abandoned nearly all of the pledges he made to the yes. left of the Labour Party, which is why you have sort of left-wing pundits like Owen Jones yeah. in outrage at the feeling of betrayal. The message well, the left the, hates Starmer more than the right does. Absolutely, it? yeah, absolutely. And the, I think what the Tory party will do is will systematically demonstrate to the electorate that Keir Starmer says one thing mm. before an election and does another thing afterwards. Now, whether that's enough to save the Tories' bacon, yeah. I make no predictions in politics these days. No, it's difficult. But, but Labour is underperforming mm. before that onslaught has happened. Yes. And so if I was a Labour sort of supporter, I wouldn't feel particularly optimistic no. And an awful lot yeah. of the, 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 the constituencies that we've seen so far, the, the, the vote count was so far down in the 20% yeah. of area, which has got to be disillusioning for an awful lot of political pundits and, and, and politicians generally. Yeah. Because if you can't even get a third of the people who vote out to vote, mm. what does that say about the system? What does it yeah. say about disillusionment just with everything? Yeah, and I don't know what you're feeling from lis your listeners and your your viewers, but um, I've just been in co on College Green. Now, yeah. normally College Green, you know, the heart of Westminster, that, you know, with the big Ben behind yes. and people remember, the, is absolutely throbbing yeah. on a morning like this. There's almost no one there. Right. Someone at the BBC said, we're basically moving to coronation coverage yes. from noon. It's so that sort of halo effect that you get after a good local. Kirstan was probably not even going to get yeah. that. And right. so It seems as though the only thing that's been endorsed is basically we're not interested. Yeah. We don't care what you say. Absolutely. We don't care what you do. You're screwing everything up, all of you. Yeah. Uh, and that goes across the board. Yeah. And what I'm getting from a lot of our listeners and viewers is we wish we'd had a, a reform candidate to vote for. We just had Richard Tyson. They'd only put up 500 candidates, I think, because they yeah. obviously took the view they didn't want to put up 8,000. Yeah. I haven't seen how they've done. I but... suspect he would have told me they'd done better than if they had. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm assuming they haven't done brilliantly. Yeah. And I think that's the problem for reform. It's a two-party system. They mm. want proportional representation, which I'm not in favour of, really. Um, he thinks that would make them a better bet. But as long as there's only a two-party system, they're, they're never going to do well. No, no. That no, is well, the problem. I think if, with all respect, Richard's brilliant, but you know Nigel Farage was a once, you know, probably one of the greatest and most potent effective yeah. politicians of the post-war generation. Well, I think if we he was say, still in politics yeah. today, I think the Tories would be in a much greater hole. I think we can say without any fear or favour that if it weren't for Nigel Farage, we'd still be in the EU. Absolutely. You know, without any question. So what does Rishi Sunak do then? How, if you were advising him this morning, would you say he comes back from this? Um, do you just have to give it time? Does he have to do something? He's not really said much that, mm. that I've seen. What, what, what should he do? Well, look, I don't know whether there is anything he can do that can surely resurrect the, the toys. There's a basic law of politics mm. that after a certain period of time, people want change. you just got to go. And I think the Tories have been in power for a long time now. Yeah. And during pretty difficult times, the, you know, after the crash, the yeah. Brexit period, people feel a, that we look as Conservatives a bit tired. Yeah. But look, all credit to him. I'm not his biggest fan, but he's stabilised the Tory position. But I follow politics so closely. Mm. I don't really know still, Mike, what he wants to do with power. No. I don't know... Mm. What gets him up in the morning? Yeah. You know, for me, the number one issue is to tackle the housing crisis that yeah. is pricing young people out of the housing right. market. But I don't know whether I don't know what motivates him. Mm. I don't know what excites him. He needs to somehow reintroduce himself to the electorate yeah. and tell people, if you give me a mandate, and I know that's a big ask of electorate to give you, you know, another Tory, 
this is my overwhelming priority. What is it? Yeah. Because I don't know the answer to well, that question. Well, because the five yet. sort of pledges that he's made are all very nice and dandy. Technocratic. But they're, quite, but they're yeah. technocratic. And yeah. he can't succeed simply by appearing to be a decent manager or mm. efficient. You know, yeah. we, we need some somebody with a bit of flair. Yeah. And we need him to achieve something as well. Because everything he's said that he's going to do so far is mm. all is just talk. Yeah. He hasn't really done anything. He hasn't stopped the boats. He hasn't brought inflation down. He hasn't cut the waiting list on the NHS. Yeah. You know, the country appears to be sort of falling apart at the seams yeah. and whether or not it's everybody to blame for the Tories uh, doing it they're getting the blame yeah. and that's just the way it is isn't it and, and people aren't stupid even that stop the boats yeah. pledge which I support and would love to see he hasn't said he's actually going to control immigration. No. You know, immigration is still... Well, the biggest growing, problem... Growing, growing. I've been saying this since the piece appeared last Sunday uh, in the Sunday Times, Robert Colville's piece, about how the major problem with immigration is not the, the illegal migrants, it's the legal migration. 500,000 people. I think at the end of May, Richard says we're going to get the figure for 2022. Yeah. And it could be 750,000 yeah. legal migrants coming yeah. in uh, net. And we just haven't got enough houses for them. And it's, com it's not... There is no democratic mandate for that. Yeah. In fact, the opposite is the case. People thought when they voted for Brexit, when they re-elected a Conservative government, they thought they would get control of mm. immigration. And this government does not have control no. of immigration. And actually, it's doing the opposite of what it said. And that's why people are angry. Yeah. You know, and um, the core Tory vote um, feels disillusioned. Yes. And so Rishi needs to answer your question. Rishi needs a vision, but he also needs to convince call Conservative voters that he is a Conservative. Yeah. And what is the easiest thing that he can do to convince them of that? Because I don't think he's... He's clearly struggling to stop the boats, and mm -hmm. as everybody has it before him. Yeah. Um, the NHS waiting list problem is so huge that yeah. I don't think he could tackle that and make something happen. Mm. Um, inflation isn't really in his gift anyway, so he, he can claim credit if he wishes. Mm. You know, I'm sort of running out of things that he could do between now and the next election to prove mm. that he is a doer. Yeah. Well, I think his strategy of actually focusing on these small pledges, mm. I think we agree on, aren't enough. Mm. But I think if he actually shows to the electorate he's achieved on those five and the jury is out whether he will not, right. at least he then has the basis to say... I said I would do these five things, and I've done them largely. He then says, I therefore can say to you with some confidence that I'm able to run government in a way that perhaps you didn't think recent Conservative mm. leaders were. And he then says, but what my real passion is, this is what I achieved mm. in a year, but if you give me five years, yeah. I will do this. Right. But I don't know what that this is. I don't know is. what that is. No. I mean, funnily enough, it was last summer when I kind of came to the conclusion we should just have a general election, let Labour win, and then we can kick them for a few years, uh, and by which time the Tories can fix themselves, become proper yeah. Conservatives again, and come back. And I, you know, a lot of people said to me, that's so much of a risk, we can't let the Labour Party take the hands of the mm. economy, it'll be yeah. a disaster, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know how much worse it can get. Yeah. It can get worse. It can always get worse. <laughs> it can get worse. I mean, things can always get worse, as And I say. think, you see, it, I don't think it will be a Labour government if the Tories lose. The Greens did quite well mm. overnight. Liberal Democrats did well. What you're going to get, you know, back to that um, 2015 mm. election is a, yeah. a coalition of chaos. Oh, really. You know, you'll have you'll have the Greens with three or four MPs. Yeah. You'll have the Liberal Democrats with 20, 25 MPs. Yeah. You'll have the SNP still holding on yeah. and all the rest of it. And so Keir Starmer will be in constant negotiation with these parties. Yeah. Remember, that's what's happened in Scotland. Yes. And in order to get stuff through, Nicola Sturgeon had I mean, to do they, a deal they, with the Looney Greens. Yeah, and it was about, they might yeah. as well strapped a suicide vest to themselves <laughs> because that's piece pissed to have ruined yeah. the party altogether. And so I think the Tories' opportunity, I suppose, in the scenario you said, you know, get them booted out, is 
actually the path back to power if that coalition of chaos exists might be quicker than mm. we think whether they can use a time in opposition to sort of sort themselves out quickly yeah. i don't know but this doesn't feel like 1997 no. when the tories leaving would usher in a long period of labor yes. rule that doesn't feel like i keep the hearing in me. my head lloyd benson you know the vice presidential yep. candidate many years ago mm. when he said to dan quayle you're not. Um, you're no JFK. You're no JFK, yeah. and people yeah. are saying this now about Starmer. You're no Tony Blair. Yeah, and he is no. And Tony he is. No. He's not clever enough, and he also doesn't have the likes of Mandelson around him. I know Mandelson's kind of in, in the mm. dark with his, you know, dark arts doing mm. bits and pieces. But there's no team that was mm. as good as that team. Campbell, all those guys, whether you like them or not, they were very good at what they did. And to be fair to Kiss Starmer, there's never going to be another Tony Blair because I, I remember we're, bo we're both of that mm. age. You might we can't remember all these yeah. things, but. Um, Blair came in and the hope was enormous. You know, there was a sort of almost messiah complex was, yeah. going on. And then, of course, the Iraq war happened, yeah. stuff like that. Mm. And I don't think people will ever believe a politician ever again right. like they believe Blair, because mm. Blair did betray a lot of people's Yeah, confidence. because he was the great sort of hope, wasn't he, for, yeah. for the new world. Yeah. And it turned out that it wasn't really quite what it was it sold as. Known. There we are. I blame Alistair Campbell. Sorry if you're listening, Alistair. I'm not sorry at all. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, great to see you, Tim. Thank you very much indeed. Um, hopefully you get some sleep at some point. Um, we'll take your calls now coming up. 0344 499 1000. But also ask the question, has anyone seen Prince Harry? On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are underway, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are very close uh, to Saturday, Coronation Day, of course. Uh, we're going to be talking to Rupert Bell coming up in this hour. Also, uh, we'll be going live down to uh, Buckingham Palace where there's an awful lot going on, uh, including the fact that we're hearing the army's being drafted in to steward the, the entire event. Uh, because, frankly, they're the only ones that know how to do it properly. That doesn't surprise me at all. We'll get some more details on that for you. We'll also update you on what's going on election-wise, because, of course, uh, we're expecting to get some more results coming in around about midday, uh, which I'm sure will not do anything good for the Tory party. We know uh, they haven't done particularly well, but we also know nobody's done really particularly well. Keir Starmer's very full of the joys of spring this morning, talking about uh, getting a Labour majority to win the next general election. But one, that is a long way off, and two, there's plenty of time to go between now and then and also there's plenty of things that could go wrong the Tory party are in no uh, doubt shaken by all of this but it can't be said to have been a surprise because at the back end of the sort of worst case scenario they were going to lose around about a thousand seats they lost more than that the last time around uh, and then they actually managed to win the general election anyway so uh, for all of those Labourites who are sort of gloating and saying hey the Tories are finished <laughs> it's all our turn now well it might well be um, the other thing is of course I keep getting people on social media going you'll be finished when the Tories are out Actually, no, we'll only be getting started because it's much more fun to watch a Tory party uh, fall into the river and then have the Labour Party come in and make it even worse and let the river run dry. Uh, actually, that is what proper uh, journalism and punditry is about. Uh, so whoever's in charge, you know, we will be here. And it will be very, very interesting indeed, I would say. Don't forget, I said last week uh, that what I should have done, uh, what we should have done, uh, was at the end of the summer of, uh, of last year, we, when Boris Johnson left the Tory party, we should have basically, or left as Prime Minister, we should have basically had an election then, which the Labour Party could have won, and they could be messing it up royally even as we speak. 
But we'll have to wait a bit for that, I suppose. 0344 499 1000. Mitch in North London says, Mike, to be fair to Rishi Sunak, how can he start to reduce NHS waiting lists while half of the staff in the NHS seem to be perpetually on strike, demanding pay rises that the country can't afford? And as for a return to true Conservative values, forget it. There are now so many people dependent on the state for their income that a return to true Conservative values would make the party unelectable. Turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Well, how did it ever get to that point? The local elections, of course, uh, have all to do all to do with local issues. One of the biggest local issues, of course, uh, is the problem of traffic and the problem of cars and the problem of the enemy, uh, which are, uh, very much are seen as car drivers. Ross Clark is here, author of Not Zero, of course, because we heard this week uh, that Catherine Villiers, MP, gave ministers power to overturn the ULES expansion. Um, and, of course, we've got a story from Bristol today, which I mentioned earlier, where they've already undone one of the low-traffic neighbourhoods. Uh, Ross, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Mike. It's Theresa Villiers. Sorry, I'm, I, I do beg your pardon. Uh, Theresa Villiers uh, has, has come out this week and said MPs should get behind uh, some form of opposition to Sadiq Khan's plan for this expanded ULED zone. Uh, we've also got the courts looking into it as well. Do you think there's a pretty good chance that it might not happen now? Um, I think there, there is quite a good chance it, it won't happen. I mean, the, the Conservative councils, um, which are challenging the, uh, the the expansion of ULEZ in the in the courts, um, you know, they're, they're, they've got they've got a, a pretty good case in that, um, you know, not properly consulted upon, and the um, the figures that um, Sadiq Khan has produced in its support of it are, are somewhat questionable. Um, of course, that won't do away with the ultra low emission zone altogether because it's already in existence within the north and south circular roads what's at stake is whether it's expanded to the whole of london as it, um sadiq khan plans to do from from august well he, he plans to do it but if the uh, if the court decides that his decision to do so was an unlawful one he won't be able to will he um, no, he wouldn't be able to. And, um, you know, there's also the question of the cameras and whether, um, you, you know, the, uh, the the councils in outer, the boroughs of outer London, some of them have said, you know, well, we're not going to allow him to fix our his cameras, the, the cameras he needs to enforce the thing. Um, it seems that um, the, the Transport for London are allowed to put these cameras in certain places, mm. such on traffic lights, which they... Um, own already, but that's not necessarily going to be enough to enforce the, uh, the 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 zone altogether, especially in parts of the uh, boroughs where the, where there aren't many traffic lights. Well, that's the thing, and also there's a bit of a sort of um, a vigilante crew growing, isn't there? Um, who are taking the the cameras down um, and who are basically saying we're not going to put up with this, even though the councils can't stop um, the mayor's office putting those ca those cameras in. They're not exactly going to put somebody on them 24-7 and make sure they're not dismantled. No, well, I mean, I'm absolutely not going to support the um, damage that's being done against the cameras. I mean, I've been absolutely opposed to the um, acts of vandalism being committed by climate protesters. And I'm, I'm going to take exactly the same line about um, protesters against ULEDs who, mm. who are damaging equipment. But um, certainly, the, you know, there is a democratic deficit in the way that Sadiq Khan has um, sort of forced this thing onto to Londoners in the same way as all around the country um, councils took the opportunity of the pandemic to slip in these low traffic zones 15 minute cities and so on um, all supposedly on the basis that it would help people get about 
cities and towns when you know people were scared of using public transport during the pandemic but yeah. you know magically these schemes still seem to exist in many cases well, this is what i was going to come to yeah because i was reading a story today um, which was written just a couple of days ago from bristol where during the pandemic they closed off a section of road it's called university road in bristol I don't know if you know it um, and it's been closed ever since but apparently now the mayor's office is actually um, written to um, the, the roads people to say you must now reopen the road because it's causing too many traffic problems for people who have to take the long way round. But, I mean, you're right to say that there's an awful lot of this stuff still hanging about, like a hangover from COVID, where you go, oh, you can't go down that road. You go, why? Oh, because of COVID. And you go, sorry, I don't really understand. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Well, it, it is extraordinary. that the, the, the whole... I mean, take my local town, Cambridge. I mean, they spent... £2.3 million pound, um, reconstructing a roundabout to put in cycle lanes, which is Dutch-style roundabout is right. going to be the first in Britain. The, the accident rates actually increased in, in, on that roundabout <laughs> since they is put that it the in one three that, years ago. Is that the one I saw a picture of, which is so kind of complicated that you can't work yeah, out where you're supposed like to go? Yeah, it's like a giraffe from the air or some yeah. kind of, of aboriginal art. Yeah. But, um, it's actually increased accidents, caught two point cost. £2.3 million. Pounds. Right. And meanwhile, the rest of the city is absolutely plagued with lethal potholes. Yeah. And you think, well, you know, why do they spend that money? And I say it's the cyclists who get the worst of the potholes. Well, exactly. Exactly right. And I mean, talking about cameras, I've got here a piece in the sun. I don't know if you've seen it today on page 11. The world's first AI speed camera has been put up in Britain, apparently. Uh, it can spy on drivers actually inside their cars. I mean, so the war on motorists goes on, doesn't it? Well, it does. And you can see all these, um, you know, things like number plate recognition cameras, they're all sold to us on the basis that they would help fight serious crime and serious, um, you know, getaway cars or criminals and that sort of thing. Yeah. And of course, you know, the mission creep, it takes effect. And, you know, hey, presto, they're now being used for enforcing bus lane fines, box junction fines, no right turn signs. And before we know it, they will be used for um, a national road pricing system. And I mean, that's almost certain because, um, you know, as electric cars take over well the government's going to lose all that revenue from road fuel duty so it's going to have to um uh, replace that yeah. revenue well somehow. i mean it's also it's so one of the few have... places where you can actually raise more revenue because everybody is kind of tapped out on the tax front there's not much more tax you can put on people i actually said uh, towards the end of last year i don't know what more taxes they can put on us and that was when sadiq khan unveiled his you know extra expansion of the uled zone which will create an awful lot of money uh, for uh, the London Mayor's office. But, of course, it won't be enough to to fill the black hole of transport for London. No, no, it won't. And, um, I mean, there's some people who, you know, cheer on what they, you know, we, we call a war on motorists, saying, oh, you know, well, I don't, I don't drive around, so I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me. Well, the two things to say there. First is that um, anybody, even if you don't drive, you are reliant on road transport for deliveries, for tradespeople and so on. But secondly, Sadiq Khan hasn't stopped at a war on motorists. You know, his latest um, idea is he wants to scrap travel cards. These are tr cards, rail tickets that people buy from right. travelling outside London include a return journey to the capital and then bus and tube journeys while you're you're in London. Right. Well, the deep car wants to abolish those, so that'll be an, an extra tenner for a lot of people, um, you know, day out mm. in London. 
well, you know, where's the encouragement to use public transport there? I no. mean, he, he's attacking motorists, train travellers. and Well, this is it. I mean, I, I only know this because of something that happened last night, but they actually inadvertently or deliberately cancelled a load of trains last night out of London Bridge uh, down to the sort of south coast for no apparent reason. They just, they just didn't run them. You know, so after sort of 11 o'clock at night, there were no more trains when they're supposed to run much later than that to get people back home. So if you were stuck in London last night trying to get a train on the southeastern network, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll understand why, why you couldn't get there. But there was no reason given. We looked on the live departure boards and just said uh, there are no more trains from London Bridge this evening. It didn't give a reason. And there was no strike. There was no engineering works. It just didn't happen. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, I mean, if it was harder, to, you know, councils are making it harder to drive around, but at the same time they were really improving public transport yes. and cycleways, footways, and everything. Well, that would be one thing. <clears throat> but you know what they're doing? You know, we're getting the taxes on motorists, but we're not getting the effective, efficient public transport that we would need to um, travel alternatively. So, I mean, it's just getting around this country. It's just become a horrible business. It and, really has. You know, it you really turn has. up a train, it's not running because they're on strike or they've just decided on a whim that those services aren't um, running. So, I mean, you, you know, if you can't drive either, I mean, how are we supposed yeah. to get around the country? And, and just one final thought, Ross, on the low turnout of this local election, it would appear that many people didn't bother voting. Uh, we've had quite a lot of people this morning telling us why would we bother voting for either Labour or Conservatives? They're both all doing the same thing. They're on this kind of net zero crusade. They're not really helping us. So we're not going to bother anymore. Yeah, well, this is a problem. I mean, local elections over the past few decades have become more and more used as a sort of protest against the national government mm. and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, a referendum on national government. But um, you know, they're about local issues. We brought this upon ourselves in a way by not voting in local elections on local issues. You know, if every time um, some council come up with some demented um, road traffic scheme, they got voted out of office, we wouldn't get those silly mm. schemes. But, um, you know, all these uh, councils will just take us for granted yeah. now. They think, well, well, you know, we don't. People don't really vote on local issues. Well, if so you we can, if you can, really if you can vote. seize power with twenty-two percent of the vote, I mean, that's just ridiculous. But listen, Ross, we've got to go. Thank you very much indeed. Author of Not Zero, the ULES expansion fight on goes on. Uh, whether or not Sadiq Khan will win, we don't know. But it's already happening in Glasgow. It's already happening in Leeds, in Bristol, in Oxford, in Cambridge. All of this stuff is spreading to the rest of the country. We said it would, and now it's happening. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Of course, the main event going on uh, this weekend is the coronation. Uh, forget about the local election. Uh, that had a turnout of something like 25 to 30 percent. We haven't got an official figure yet, but it ain't very big. And it's very unlikely to go much above 30 or 31 percent. So when you consider that less than a third of the people who can vote in this country actually bothered to do so, uh, that tells you an awful lot about what is going on out there in the big wide world. And when people say, oh, well, you know, the royal family have only got the approval rating of about 38 to 40 percent of the population. Well, that would be something that any politician would absolutely bite your arm off for. Uh, so they're quite popular and an awful lot more popular uh, than many people say. Um, Jonathan Dimbleby uh, is being quoted right now as saying that the idea of paying homage to the king would be abhorrent to the king. 
I don't know why he thinks that. I don't know where he's got that from. Uh, however, let's find out. Rupert Bell is here, talks political... Uh, uh, he's a royal correspondent, actually. He's not a political correspondent. He's live from Westminster Abbey, though. Uh, Rupert, very good morning to you. I'll stick to being royal correspondent. Yes, Thank very, you very wise. Much, Mike. Good morning. It's much more interesting, I have to say. I'm being bored stiff by this talk of local elections. Um, well, there's a lot going on on our front. Um, and I should, the Jonathan Dimbleby, remember, he wrote the uh, biography of the king. Yes. Um, basically, after the Diana uh, interview, he then, it was his uh, comeback, as it were, and telling what was going on. And Jonathan Dimble, be a long-standing friend of the king, so it's been quite interesting. The king is very sort of realistic, um, and I think Jonathan Dimbleby is trying to reflect that that he he doesn't want everybody sort of um, I don't know paying homage, but of course there is the chance to pledge allegiance tomorrow yes. if you wish right. as part of the service. And I can imagine if you've gone to a big screen wherever it is that people might the way of feeling part of the service. But it is very much a voluntary decision if you want to yes. pledge your allegiance I will not to be the pledging my allegiance. part of the service. And just in case you're interested, well, I, I won't be. Well, that's fine. And that's what the king would want. Um, I'm not to judge. It's a free world, as you keep reminding us, Indeed, uh, Mike. So it is. Uh, it, everyone has a choice. And, but uh, I, I think it's in the sort of television era, I suppose, it's a very simple way if you are so minded mm. to do it. Um, and perhaps people who go to a big screen and have made the effort to go there, they are presumably like-minded. So I will be interesting to see how that sort of plays out at the various big screenings around the country. Obviously in London there's ones at Hyde Park, Green Park and, and various other locations around the country. Um, I'd know it, the Badminton Horse Trials, they've got a big screen there between um, the competition where people will be able to congregate down by the lake and mm. you could imagine that maybe there, those people there might be so minded. Yes, absolutely right. And I'm told there's a lot of medals going to be handed out to members of the armed forces and frontline uh, sort of service workers over the course of this weekend. Yeah, um, I think um, I, I heard a very large number. I may, I may have got the figure wrong, but I heard something like 400,000 people might be uh, honoured as a result. And again, I suppose um, it is a, a reflection of the king trying to make people feel included and understanding the good work that many people may have done over recent years and a way of paying tribute to them because mm. that's very much what he wants to do and look he's just left the Westminster Abbey behind me from his final rehearsal yes. he left just 10 minutes ago um, to come here and we know that the congregation is a much more um, varied congregation than when it when it was back in 1953 when they had 8,000 people crammed into the Abbey, just 2,000, but from this 2,000 is a, a much more varied pool of uh, people coming to the, to the service. Yeah, absolutely right. And there's been a few sort of things happening. Charles is busy, isn't he? Because he's not just doing all these rehearsals. In between, he's meeting people, uh, he's having conversations with various indigenous groups from countries where uh, Britain was thought to have done something terrible to them. Uh, he's also having, I think, uh, uh, some Commonwealth heads of government meetings as well. So um, I don't know if he's finding the time to have a bit of a lie down. Well, uh, he's got three more things going on now. He's got a reception now at Buckingham Palace. Then he's going to go to Marlborough House for a meeting uh, of Commonwealth uh, heads uh, and representatives of the Commonwealth countries. And then he's got a big reception uh, later on this evening for all the others who are coming in 
plus the Commonwealth as well, I believe. So he's got three big um, meetings in front of him, but actually probably in some ways they could be just as important as um, in terms of for Britain, because mm. that is what he's, he does, which is the, the soft power element of, of his role, of being able to meet and greet uh, all the leaders. And obviously from a, a behind the scenes, I am sure there are various government meetings and they're probably only too happy to get away from watching the television and the poll results so they can go and have meetings with various <laughs> heads of states and get on with the, the matters in hand rather than feeling yes. all gloomy after watching what happened last night to, to the presence incumbents uh, uh, in Westminster. Quite. I was pleased to see that yesterday they changed their minds as well on the peers of the realm, that they will indeed now be able to put on their finest ermine and wander through Westminster Abbey like characters out of a, uh, a sort of an old historical novel. Well, yes, but I, I probably, one of them may have, I, I heard a story of one who's got his ermine, but he couldn't find the key to the box that he got his ermine in. So um, um, I hope he's managed to prise it open if he is turning up uh, tomorrow afternoon. Um, so because a lot of this go back through centuries and many families who are represented tomorrow have been coming to the coronation for, for well, not quite necessarily since 1066, but many can trace mm. the, the lineage back to a long way and have been always represented at the coronation. And that's why there was one or two felt their noses had been put out of joint by the fact that they weren't invited. But uh, I think they've now accepted uh, that uh, health and safety only allows 2,000. And, and it's basically, yeah. it's the king's call. He invites who he wants. Yes. No, I mean, I, I was, you'd be horrified, wouldn't you, if you opened the box with the ermine uh, in there yeah. and found that it had all been gnawed by moths or something. Can you imagine? Well, well I think that given some of the state of some of the stately homes, there's every chance that that could happen <laughs> um, because uh, a lot of them tend to be um, uh, land rich and cash poor. So, yes. And the heating bills are a bit of a problem for them. So mm. uh, hopefully, though, the ones turning up tomorrow have managed to get them suitably dry, cleaned, restored uh, so that they can be uh, looking resplendent in their, in their, their robes of honour. Indeed. Now, the one question I have for you, which you may or may not be able to answer, yeah. is where on earth is Prince yeah. Harry? I asked this question earlier this morning. So far, nobody spotted him. Is he even here? Um, I haven't. At the, I, we call him at the moment the lesser spotted Harry. <laughs> um, but I'm sure we will be spotting him at some stage. I, here's my point with Harry. He is keeping out of the spotlight because he doesn't want him even on the final day before his father's uh, crowning moment uh, to be the story. Look, he'll be in, out and back on a plane pretty sharpish. But we won't see much of him during the coronation uh, because, you know, the, the coverage will be very much focused on what is happening to the king and all the elements of the service. Mm. And they won't be suddenly giving you a, uh, a close up of Prince Harry, um, but it will just be a general shot because it will be staged managed. Every picture uh, and TV shot will be staged managed. But remember, it's about the king and nobody else tomorrow and the queen as well, uh, who will also be crowned once he has been. Yes, it's going to be fascinating to watch, really, because, I mean, I, I, you've probably watched it, but I don't think I've ever actually watched the entire service of the 1953 coronation. You know, I can't imagine why I didn't. But, you know, I just have never got around to it. So there'll be things that I'll be seeing tomorrow that I've never seen. Uh, well, let's be honest, most of us. Uh, let, uh, look, it was three hours, that service. So uh, it's, it's quite a test. Um, but 
it will be a variation on a theme. You know, the fact is, uh, this they first, you can trace elements of this service back to the 900s. Yeah. So, and the way it's evolved, and obviously 1066 when William the Conqueror was crowned mm -hmm. here. And since then, there have been 38 further monarchs crowned in this building. And tomorrow, obviously, if I've got my mass, mass right, uh, the king will be the 40th. Yes, I so, believe so. Uh, it's, uh, and, and you look at the trace it all the way through the, the, the way it has evolved to what it's going to be tomorrow. And there are differences. You know, we, we will have a sermon which is new to the, uh, and then we'll be uh, singing in Greek uh, in honor of um, uh, Prince Philip and, and his family. And so that, that's the king's way of being aware of his full roots, not just on his mother's side. Mm. We'll hear songs in Welsh. So it's a very much a different service, but at the heart of it, the crowning and the anointing is very similar to what has happened in previous yeah. years. And a low update yet, I presume, on the fly past because it's difficult to say. I mean, the sky, the cloud ceiling today seems to be quite high. Uh, I reckon I could see uh, reasonably far out into Essex if that's where you want to look. Uh, well, uh, at the moment, I would say they would be giving it a go, go, go. But I think tomorrow they'll be waking up and what, keeping an eye. And they'll be hoping, as they say, the weather clears for maybe an hour so mm. that they can, they have to sort of meet up and do a holding pattern and then they fly over Buckingham Palace. And clearly tomorrow, after the coronation, after the procession, then after the uh, salute inside Buckingham Palace Gardens, he comes out on the balcony and part of that sort of moment, not only waving to everybody in front of him, is the fly past which sort of signals mm. the end of the major events tomorrow. Yes, and then that's around about, what, 2.30ish, as far as we know? Uh, 2.30ish, uh, weather permitting. Um, he gets back from the coronation at about 1.33, yes. uh, to be precise, if, if everything goes correctly. In takes the salute inside the uh, uh, Buckingham Palace Gardens and then we'll come back out, regroup and come back out onto the uh, balcony around about 2.15 they say yes. that will be happening tomorrow afternoon mm. and then the fly past as we say, weather permitting. Yes, and then of course the real events get underway with Kevin O'Sullivan and myself 3pm on Talk TV, oh. a show not to be missed. We're calling it the after party uh, with an un uh, unofficial name of the Royal Week. Well, I, I, what I'm told is the king can't wait to watch it. I'm sure. Because uh, he'll, be, he'll be putting up he'll, he'll he be, might he'll also be in need of a good, He'll be in need of a good laugh by then. Well, he, he, he might need a, a stiff drink by then, probably, because he might be absolutely um, cream-crackered. But uh, <laughs> what he might be doing, he might be settling down to watch. He hasn't got any runner in the 2,000 guineas, but uh, they, he does have some runners, I think, at Newmarket tomorrow. So yeah. he may... Well, hello. What There's a that? crack of thunder just coming. That oh, was thunder. Crikey. Um so, uh, and there's a big black cloud currently over uh, the building next to me. So we'll, we may be getting some thunderstorms in a moment. Wow. That, that, well, that you should up. be counting. Um, you should be counting until you see the lightning, and then you'll know how far away it is. You know how to do that, right? Well, uh, I, 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 that was I learned that at school. Yes. yes, but at the moment I can't see any lightning. But I'm, I'm just wondering whether we get a, another <laughs> spectacular rumble of thunder. You might need to get off you, the Mike. roof. Are you the highest point there? Uh, no, no, they're a bit higher. That's I good. can assure you. Excellent. But, I, but I've got a, I've, yeah, but I've got a metal roof in front of me. Oh my goodness yeah, me! You might uh, need to get out of the way. Me, me and Tyler may be hot-footing it away from here fairly sharp. Yeah, Tyler good. being well, my cameraman. One final question for you: Is there an official uh, coronation drink? 
Because um, we're going to have no, some libations tomorrow on the show. I just wonder what we should be having. Well, uh, well there is a surprise. Um, no, I, I don't know. Um, um, I feel free, well, feel free to stop by and you can share in the, in the, in the, the, the lavishness well, of it all. Well, Mike, I'm afraid I've got to go to the badminton horse trials, so I shall be speeding up down, down the M4 to go. So um, I'm sorry. I, I, I hate to turn down an no, invitation. Listen, but um, we'll see but the I next, am saying uh, no. We'll see you at the next coronation show. Look, uh, oh, heck. Uh, I'll be very old then. Uh, but anyway, goodbye, Mike. Yeah, goodbye, <laughs> Rupert. Thanks. Nice to see you. Try and stay out of the way of the lightning. Don't put any umbrellas up. Uh, this is Talk TV. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I'll tell you what, while the news was on... Uh, the skies literally opened even more. You could not see across the river. And that's about as bad as I've ever seen it up here on the 17th floor uh, of Talk Towers. Uh, it seems to have now slightly abated and you can now at least see the buildings. I can now see the Tower of London again, uh, which I couldn't see uh, for quite some time. But it looks very dark and dingy and nasty over towards Essex. And I'm not just talking about the uh, county, I'm talking about the sky, by the way. Uh, Oliver is here, Oliver whitfield Mirchich. He was outside uh, the dog and duck yesterday. This man gets everywhere. You were working about, I don't know, 15 hours yesterday, Oliver. Yeah, big occasion. You've got to put the hours You've in. got to do it, haven't you? Um, luckily, you're not outside in this, though. Not for the moment, They but did I predict this. It is, it's typical, isn't it, of British weather um, to sort of dominate. I'm told that in 1953... It was also terrible weather for the old uh, coronation and, and the soldiers were given sugar cubes uh, dipped in brandy to keep themselves warm. But oh, uh, Remember that coronation, not the coronation, the jubilee that we had, the yes. pageant on the Thames. I do remember that. Uh, and Prince it was Philip, awful, wasn't it? I think ended up having to go to hospital because he, ended up he contracted a, like, a, pneumonia or, yeah, he or did. Like, some sort of lung condition. He did, he did, absolutely so, right. Yeah, it's, it's a continuation of the weather ruining potentially. I suppose it doesn't ruin it, but it can't be much fun if you're camped out on the street right now, because there's a lot of people down on the mall doing that, aren't there? And the people who are out on the street, some of them don't even have an umbrella. Some of them are there oh with God. just a barbecue chair. So they're, they're going to now be on. currently soaking wet. I don't know what you do then. I, I, I honestly don't know. But, I mean, it acts as a shower, because they haven't really got shower facilities down there. Yeah, but you'd rather not shower with all your clothes on, though. No. Anyway, but you've got a story for us about the military being drafted in. What's that all about? Yeah, so the Ministry of Defence says that 500 members of the armed forces mm. are now going to be brought in to help with the stewarding of the event, as well as part of the coronation concert that we're going to see okay. on Sunday. Now, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, which is the department that is in overall charge of the commemorations, right. put in this request to the MOD for this, using a similar mechanism or the same mechanism as what government departments use during COVID-19 mm. to get the armed forces yeah. to help with COVID-19 testing, but also what the uh, border force have used in order to get armed forces personnel manning border checkpoints yeah. whenever there's been, whenever there's been strikes. Whenever there's been strikes. Yeah. So that has happened. Separately, when I was down there yesterday, when you're on the mall, you will see that there are hundreds of private security firms, uh, security personnel right. provided by a number of different security firms. A lot of those security guards are not English. They are not speaking English. Right. It looks like they come from the Asian subcontinent. Right. 
And I was speaking to some of the English security supervisors who voiced to me their concerns about their training and about how useful they were. Because Mm. when you're in a security situation, yes, it's brilliant that you've got people there. But if they're not trained properly, Mm. then there is, you know, there's a risk that it could be more hindrance than help. Yeah, of course. And then as if to just exemplify that. Because if there is some kind of emergency, you need to know that the people who are there know what they're doing. Now, with the armed forces, you've got the chain of command, you've got communication structures in place. You know that it's all going to work. To emphasise that point, as I was speaking to this English security supervisor, one of the security guards left his bag unattended. He then ran over the supervisor and said, I've told you this before, you're not allowed to do that. Right. Do not do it. Now, that is the basics of a security guard when you're doing such What's a high-profile event. Bag? Why has he even got a bag? I mean, you wouldn't think you're supposed to have a bag, are you? Whenever you're at an airport, you're always told, or a train station, if your bag is left unattended, it could be destroyed by the security yeah. services. And, of course, we had this security scare only at the start of the mm. week where a gentleman got to the very gates of Buckingham Palace yeah. and then his bag had to be destroyed. So I think we're waiting to hear back from the DCMS right. to see whether these are linked, whether because of what is potentially seen as security problems mm. with this private security firm, that's why they've had to bring it in. The Ministry of Defence says that they had to do an assessment. So DCMS puts in the request. They won't tell us the exact date that this request was put in. But then the MOD does an assessment. And if it is deemed necessary, that is when they supply people under this agreement to help civil authorities. So it's clear that the MOD has thought this is necessary and Mm. we are supplying you with 500 people. Because remember, the the primary role of the military during all of this was meant to be ceremonial. We're meant to be seeing them following the carriage leading it back from Mm. the abbey and so now to have them there basically enhancing the stewarding positions is a little bit i'd say for some people not usual perhaps but i mean i'd rather they were there than not because the last time i remember seeing security as 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 you're describing it was for the um the euros final uh, when all those fans broke into wembley because the security guards didn't know what they were doing and they were also similarly kind of imbued from uh, from foreign parts and they were working for these private firms. And they didn't appear to have a clue about what to do about people just sort of jumping over turnstiles. And that is sort of the bigger question that we've got on how do we police and make our events secure? Is there an over-reliance on having private security mm. firms? And we heard during what happened at Wembley, a lot of the security officers felt that they were not paid enough. Mm. That as a result, they were as some were taking bribes. Yeah. That then led to even more of the crush. So I think it's it's just one of those things. Ultimately, the government is keen to stress that this event will be fine. There is 11,500 security uh, police officers right. who are out on the streets, backed up now by the military. So things will work. It's just the whole planning of it, having this private security firm, if they're there, surely they should be there doing the proper job. Yeah, absolutely right. Oliver, good to see you. Have you got a busy weekend ahead, I I dare say? Yeah, I mean, we've got live coverage here on Talk TV from 7 in the morning. That Mm. goes right through... Till, till the, 7 in the evening yeah, till I'm seven doing in a show the of 3 after the one that finishes with uh, Sharon and then Vanessa so uh, if, you're, if you're not completely dog tired we may talk to you then but thank you very much indeed uh, let's have a quick look at Plank of the Week because it's a special edition this week uh, we're going to put it out extra early for you it's going to go out at 1 o'clock on YouTube Plank of the Week let's have a look London is absolutely packed yeah. with yeah. Tor- yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tourists from all over yeah. the world. So yeah. they are good for this country. And yeah, as you say, the price of, of having the royal family is, is relatively low, and it provides us with a great um, you know, see, so series of, e- of entertainment. <laughs> but let's have a look, because sure as you say, these, these Republican idiots were out in force at a, um, a meeting up in Liverpool, where I think Charles 
uh, was about to show up. So let's have a look at this, what they were doing. Not my cane! Not my cane! Not my cane! Not my cane. Can you imagine how boring um, they must be? But imagine these idiots, I mean, right, sitting there, sitting on, sitting on sort of lentil cushions, you know, munching, <laughs> you know, talking about how awful Britain is and yeah. how much better I Europe need a is. Cushion and we all want to go and live in a nice, civilised country. Absolute morons. The great thing was the school kids who were out they to greet the, right the king yeah. actually made more noise, and here they are. Brilliant. Love it. Brilliant. Oh, that's really awesome. Great, so the, Repu the Republican movement, faith. nil, primary school children, one. Yeah. It has to be said, that was one of the great moments of the last week where the primary school kids actually uh, beat out uh, in terms of noise and in terms of their message. Uh, the moaning Republicans nominated there uh, by Isabel Oakeshott uh, on Plank of the Week. You can see that from one o'clock right here on YouTube, of course. And uh, it's going to be broadcast later on tonight uh, right here uh, on Talk as well. But listen, here's the other thing. Uh, you should know that Kevin O'Sullivan made his return to Plank of the Week. He's going to be here with us very shortly. We're going to play you another clip of him and I uh, on a royal bus doing a tour around London, which we did the other day. He and I are also doing a show uh, at uh, 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, uh, on from 3 till 7. We're calling it the after party because it'll all be done and dusted by then. We might have gone early with the thunderstorm in order to have the fly pass, so you never know if that's going to be the case. Uh, but also Isabel Oakeshott, Kevin O'Sullivan, Amanda Devlin from The Sun, and of course Will Geddes, everybody's favourite royal security man. Uh, right now, though, let's go to the phones. Edwin is in Essex. Hello, Edwin. Oh, good afternoon, Mike. Hello, sir. How are you doing? All right, thank you. Good, man. How's the weather out there? It's pretty horrible here. It's, it's Some dark clouds are starting to appear. Yes. You know, so we'll probably Is it an omen, I ask myself? Well, it would be nice <laughs> if we could get it out of the way, but I don't think that's going to happen yes. somehow. Well, it's kind of come and gone. It's brightened up a bit. I couldn't see anything for about uh, ten minutes. It was that bad. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what, what do you want to tell me? Well, um, regarding voting, yes. when the MPs vote in the House of Commons, they're allowed to abstain. Now, why can't that privilege be given to the British voter when they vote in elections? Yes. So if on the ballot paper there was an abstention box, mm. it means people wouldn't have to spoil their ballot papers right. and they could count the abstentions in as the share of the vote. Sure. And I wonder if you could then have um, a high enough level of abstention. You could say that the government is not actually legitimate. That's absolutely true, isn't mm. it? Because you gauge the amount of people and their feeling and the way they vote. Right. And I wonder how many people would then vote. Would you, would you then say that voting should be compulsory if you had that option? Well, I would, I would like it to be like it is in Australia, compulsory. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people be would. Because yeah. at the moment the problem is, is that the two-party system is not very kind to smaller parties, is it? It's very hard, for example, for reform to break through, as it was for UKIP to break through. Um, but I'm not sure I'm in favour of proportional representation is the problem. Yeah, uh, whichever way you look at it, there are problems to whatever system you adopt. Yes. But um, first past the post isn't fair when you have a proportion of the public voting for a party, but it's so spread out that it's diminished and doesn't have any effect. Right. And you know, it's so because so many seats are safe as well when it comes to voting in parliamentary MPs, there's an awful lot of places there's no point in voting at all. Well, like yesterday, I was fortunate there were three uh, candidates right. on the voting Only three? List. Only three. I was sure there were more. 
but I was happy to vote for the one that wasn't Conservative and wasn't Labour. <laughs> <laughs> I said take that as, as red. Very good. Edwin, nice to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, it would be a shock if Labour hadn't done well in Plymouth, says Roy from Devon. Traditionally, the largest employers with huge union memberships were the naval dockyards and the railway workshops at Nera. Thousands of votes there back in the day. Well, I dare say. I mean, there's no real surprises, I don't think, in any of these local election results. We're waiting for more of them to come in uh, in this final hour of the show. We'll see if that happens. But more importantly, let's talk about the weather, because the weather is the big story right now. Um, Joanne says, I hope that weather's not a harbinger of doom. I've always wanted an excuse to say that. Seriously, though, I hope it's not. Well, it's cleared up a bit since the last time uh, we saw the dark clouds. But maybe it'll go away and maybe the flypast can now happen tomorrow. We'll see. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.